The word that the Lord gave to me for us this morning is about the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer is found in John chapter 17, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read two verses, verse 9 and verse 20. I'm also going to read from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Rarely, if ever, have I had a text, that a supporting text that I read at the beginning, but essential this morning. John chapter 17, Jesus said, I pray. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? That Jesus prays. But even more spectacular, it says that I pray for them. Who? The disciples of Jesus. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. But did your neighbor say that's us? Yes. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. May God have a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. So as we look at John chapter 17, many Bible scholars call this the high priestly prayer. Also, if you were to look at Hebrews chapter 7, it's talking about Jesus being our high priest. He's our high priest. He stands before God for us. He represents us before the throne of God. And although as Christians, because the blood of Christ has been shed upon our life and we are covered in it, we can go to the throne room of God, but Jesus stands there as our advocate. He is there to represent us. He is there, if you will, to pray for us. That we might do God's will, that we may uh, continue on the path that we are on. You see, God wants you to complete what he's called you to do. Can I get an amen? amen? So God has called you. He is praying through Jesus for you. Jesus is our advocate. And while there are many prayers in the Bible, I believe this to be one of the greatest prayers because of who prayed it. And he prayed it for his disciples, for us who have known God because of the words of those 12 uh, chosen men. And I think it's interesting that it is prayed in the shadow of the cross. It's prayed in the shadow of the cross. What do I mean by that? John places this chapter just before the Betrayal and the trial of Jesus. You see, Jesus understood that he was about to go to the cross. Now, if we were to face that, and, and many times we face trials, but not like the cross, and we face situations, but not like the cross, and we pray for ourselves, and it would have been understandable if Jesus had just prayed for himself, and we know that he did. 
We pray, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But here, just moments from being betrayed and going to the cross, just days before uh, that will happen, Jesus prays for us. What an amazing thing. You see, his love for us is amazing. And that he knew what he was about to encounter, yet he began to pray for us. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus prays for us. You see, I think that's important for us to understand because if we understand that Jesus prays for us, we understand that we can make it through anything that this world brings upon us. No matter what it is, you and I can make it because Jesus, our brother, our big brother, the Savior, he is here for us and he prays for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus prays for you? And it's recorded here in this prayer, and it's not a gloomy prayer. It's not at all. You would think it would be a gloomy prayer because Jesus understands that he's going to the cross. But at the end of chapter 16, he tells his disciples, he affirms to them that he has overcome the world. Aren't you glad that Christ has overcome the world? And Christ in us, that very faith that he placed inside of us, is what helps us to overcome. You're more than victorious. You're more than a conqueror. You are victorious through the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon your life. You are a winner. Look at your neighbor and tell him you're a winner. Not because of who you are, but who Christ is in you. The very hope of glory. So Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prays for us. But I'm so thankful that he didn't just pray one time. But he continues to pray for us. Hebrews 7, 25 tells us that Jesus makes intercession for us. To intercede for someone is to pray on their behalf. To entreat God that God will move for them. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. He's intervening. He is being our high priest. But not only our high priest, but the ultimate sacrifice to go along with that high priest. So as the high priest, he lays himself down upon the altar or the cross, if you will. And he bleeds and he dies for us. He's our high priest. He's our atoning sacrifice. He is all that we need. And here he is praying for us. He's pleading, if you will, on behalf of his followers and all of us who would know God because of them. He says he ever liveth. That means he never stops praying for you. That's exciting. Amen. He is continually calling out to the Father on your behalf. He never ceases day or night. He continually calls out to God. Now, can I tell you that if you ask me to pray for you, then I will pray for you. And I'll do it right then and right there. Because if not, I am fallible and I might forget. But let me tell you that Jesus Christ never becomes tired. He never forgets. He is continually Prays for us continually, but 
That ever liveth means more than that. It means that he's praying with full vigor, strength, power. He is efficient and effective in the way that he prays for us. And if he prays for us, and he does, what more do we need? We can make it because he's praying for us. 1 John 2, 1 tells us that if anyone sins, that we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm so glad that he is my righteousness. He is my righteousness. We are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That means that even though my righteousness is described as filthy rags, that I can come before the throne of Jesus Christ because he's paved the way. He's made a way for my sin and I can come before God. And he's there to be my advocate, my interceding Jesus. He's there for me. He's for me, not against me. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't point a finger and accuse me, but he is interceding for me there. But there is one who does point a finger. There is one who points out our sins and our mistakes and our frailties. And I believe that just like Job, he comes before the throne of God at times and he points out all the things that we have done wrong. But I believe Jesus opens up his robe and says, see the spear where the blood, see the scar where the blood ran out of that, of that. See the nail prints in my hand. I've already paid for it, Lord. I've already paid for it, God. And Satan accuses, but God looks around and he sees Jesus. And he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't see my sin. He forgives me because of what Christ has already done on the cross. What a wonderful work that Jesus has done. And there was an exchange at the cross. And I came out on top and you came out on top in the exchange. Because I traded in my poor, wretched, sinful life. I traded in all of my uh, reckless shame. I traded in all of my sins and all of my uh, uh, arrogance. And I traded all of that in for his righteousness. And he took my sin and my shame and all that Isaiah said that he took from me. He bore it upon the cross. And I came out on top through Christ's grace and mercy. What an exchange that we encounter at the cross. Great exchange. The Bible tells us that he became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. And as I look at this text and I naturally I ask myself a question and it's all the answers are contained in John chapter 17. If you'll go home and read that you'll see this today. Why is Jesus praying for us? Why is he praying for me? Why is he praying for you? Verse 11 tells us this very thing. He says to the Father, I'm no longer in the world. You see, Jesus knew that he was about to experience the cross and then he was going to be taken to heaven and he was there going to be restored to his former glory. He knew that this 
not hold him, that he would be taken back to his former glory. He said, I am not in this world any longer, but they Look at your neighbor and say, you're in the world. You don't have to be reminded of that, do you? Every day you discover that you're in the world, that you're not in heaven, that you're not experiencing the bliss and the glory of heaven, that you are in this world. And he says to him, Father, but I'm coming to you. So, Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one. See, it's important for us to understand that we are in the world. But I'm very thankful that I can also know that I have a home in heaven. And that one day when the uh, eastern skies are open and the dead in Christ will rise and, and all of us who will remain will be caught up to meet him ever in the clouds and to be with him forever. So we can sing songs like when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and we'll shout the victory. You see, I've got a home in heaven and so do you. And I told Glenn this morning, I didn't know he was going to be here, but you can look at my notes, brother. I also wrote down Beulah Land. Oh, Beulah Land. Where my home shall be eternal. One day we're going to step upon that glorious city. We're going to walk on streets of gold. And we're going to know Jesus. And who to know is life everlasting. And we'll walk on streets of gold and pearly gates and all of that. But for now, we're in this world. So Jesus is saying, Father, they're going to need your help because they're not going right now where I am. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us. And oh, what a glorious place. Where our home shall be eternal. But for now, we need Jesus to pray for us. You see, Jesus is the perfect one to pray for us. Because he understands as the God-man, he understands our sinfulness. Though he knew no sin himself, he understands our temptations. Though he was victorious in those temptations, he understands our insecurities. He understands all that we go through. And he even knows that we are uh, uh, people who are aliens and foreigners in this world. He understands where we come from. But for now... We have to navigate this world. And so Jesus prays for us so that we can make it home safely. I know what it is to be lost. My wife knows very well what it is for me to be lost. I have a terrible sense of direction. I tell people all the time, I can pull out of the Kroger parking lot or the Kmart parking lot and invariably nine out of ten times go the wrong direction, even if but one prays for me in the spirit realm that I will make it home safely. Don't worry, folks. You're going to make it. Jesus is praying for you. He's calling out before the Father for you. See, this world's not our home. Jesus prays for us 
because we're in this world, but not of this world. We're in this world. We have to navigate it. We have to understand it. We have to travel through it. We have to avoid certain pitfalls and detours and all of those kinds of things. But Jesus is praying for us. He's there for us. But not only that we'll make it home safely, but that we'll be one. Keep them, Father. And that is a key word. That word is loaded. We think about people keeping children. Babysitting, we call it. But there is one that Jesus is praying to, and he's saying, keep them. Guard them. Guide them. Preserve them. Protect them. Be with them. Keep your eyes upon them. And you see, you can't let little children walk around and just bump into things and do stuff. And Jesus is praying that God will look over you. How many have seen the protective hand of God in your life? As I was traveling just a few years ago, my little son wasn't serving the Lord. And he was with me, and we avoided an accident, and the people behind us were killed instantaneously almost upon the collision. And my son looked at me and he said, Dad, how did you do that? And I just simply said, Son, it wasn't me. There's no reason why we shouldn't be back there dead but God. Amen. Man, but God navigates us. He protects us. He surrounds us. He watches over us. He keeps us. Yeah. We're so thankful for his keeping hand. His guarding and his guiding. His preserving hand. Paying careful attention to us. We need to be kept. Because if not, we're going to mess up. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, you have been redeemed, but you still must be kept. You have been regenerated, but you must be kept. You're even pure in heart and hands, but you must be kept. Oh, thank God for the keeping power that he bestows upon us. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, Now unto him who is able to keep me from falling. Oh, praise God. I don't have to worry. I may fall, but there's one there who will pick me up. He's going to keep me from falling away from the Lord. He's going to keep me, and he's going to present me before God, faultless with exceeding joy. We are going into heaven by the skin of our teeth and going in with some exceeding great joy, excited to be in the house and the, and the heaven of God. Exceeding in great joy to walk into heaven. Keep us that we might be one. A supernatural unity that God is, that Jesus is talking about here. Not just one where we can just barely get along. Oh, we can do that on our own. We can put up with one another. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a supernatural unity that the Father and the Son have. And that you and I can have because we're called for a purpose and a design. And to take all that we can with us to heaven. You see, it's not about me. It ain't about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the unity. Psalm tells us that there is a blessing that comes upon unity. There's a blessing. Oh, how good it is for brethren to dwell together 
in unity. Not just good because it feels good, but good because it is, it is a purposeful kind of thing that when the world sees us, John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. I love you. I love each and every one of you. And it is not a superficial kind of love. It is an agape, God kind of love. You don't even have to love me back for me to love you. You don't have to do everything that I want you to do in order for me to love you. I love you with a God kind of love. And there is a union in that love. And we work together for the betterment of the kingdom of God. For His glory. For His kingdom. Supernatural unity. Why would Jesus ask for unity for us? Because He knew that Satan would fight against Him. Every day, Satan fights against us being together in unity. He prays for us because he knows we need each other. You need me, and I need you. You need me, and I need you. We need one another. Now, here's something that I struggle with. struggle with it because I don't understand it. I struggle with it because my heart is ready to go to heaven. In my mind, I'm ready to experience the glory of heaven and to go see my loved ones who have gone on before me. But Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Why wouldn't Jesus take us on to heaven? There's an evil world here, one who is designed is to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have such a longing for heaven. Can I get an amen? A longing to see Jesus, a longing to see my loved ones. Why would Jesus not take us home? Verse 18 tells us, As you sent me into this world, so I sent them into this world. Folks, we have a call on our life. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not through with you yet. If he had been, he would have knocked you out and taken you on to heaven. Amen. You have a call on your life. There's a plan and a design. There is something that the Spirit of God is requiring from you because he put something into you those skills, those traits, those abilities, those anointings, those callings that He placed upon your life, He is now extracting them, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom and the world to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to be obedient here. How dare us take our skills and our abilities and our anointings to heaven with us and not use them here on the earth? God who put it in us and he requires it of us. Somebody needed to hear that. I don't know. Maybe somebody sitting in here and you've got something, uh, you got a call on your life and God's calling you to do something and you've just been avoiding it. And I tell you, you're going to be most miserable. Truth. 
church. I taught a little bit of Sunday school every once in a while. I sang in the choir. I, I led worship. I did all of those things. And they were easy because I wanted to do them. And no desire or design to preach the word of God. Not in me. But God required it of me. And he put it in me. And he put an anointing there to go with it. And I'm anointed to pastor and to shepherd people. I'm anointed to do that. I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it. I didn't want to do it. God put it inside of me. And he's placed something inside of you this morning. And I pray that he's stirring that gift. He sent us. He called us. And he prays for us because we have a purpose to fulfill.